Well, hey, Everlast. I hear you. Uh, how are you guys? We doing good? Well, uh, my name, uh, as someone just mentioned, is Tina, and I am the Young Adults Coordinator, and Kevin is our Young Adult Pastor here at Everlast. And if this is your first time, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. And if you are a regular, welcome back. Um, well, tonight uh, we are concluding uh, our series that we've been in called Battle. And we have been hitting on topics like how to battle the mind, how to battle unforgiveness. And last week, Kevin just did such a great job and hit on how to battle apathy. And so tonight, we are closing out this series with something that I believe is very common and something that everyone in this room has struggled with. And tonight, we are concluding this series with battling comparison. Amen. Now, before we start, I want to address that not all comparison is inherently sinful, meaning it isn't something that is always a sin. There is a healthy side of comparison, and I'll just give you an example. Uh, a few Wednesdays ago, we were in our staff meeting, and one of our missionaries that CWC, this church supports, uh, this missionary, he came and spoke all about uh, all that the Lord is doing in Colombia, because that's where he is doing missions currently. And so as he's sharing all that the Lord is doing, Pastor Al starts to affirm this missionary in front of us, talking about all that the Lord is doing in and through him, that, that his faith in Christ is truly reflective of his life, that basically this dude is the real deal. And as I was sitting there listening to Pastor Al uh, affirm the faithfulness of this guy, I was encouraged. Uh, I was inspired. And I thought, man, I want to have more faith like him. God, would you ignite and increase that kind of faith in me? Right? That's not a bad comparison. That was me looking at and observing someone's life in comparison to mine and seeing his years of wisdom, his faith, maturity in the Lord, and wanting and desiring that kind of radical faith that this guy has. It's the same when we look at scripture. When you dive into the word, you will see several examples of people's faith in the Bible, and it should encourage us to walk out in the kind of faith that they have. I think about the book of Acts, when Paul is just thrown into prison, and some of you know the story, and his response is one of immediate praising God and singing hymns in the midst of his suffering. When I look at a couple like Priscilla and Aquila, this married couple in an Acts that is just so on fire for the mission of God that their marriage just reflects one that is all about Jesus. It causes me to want to reflect a marriage like that. That is a healthy comparison. We should be encouraged by their faith as they pursue and look to Jesus, and we should want to imitate that as we look to Jesus and pursue him. Hebrews 6.12 says this, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate, meaning to copy, to, to model, to pattern oneself after. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate to those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. It says we are to imitate those kinds of people. In fact, Abraham is the example used right after this verse. In order to imitate, you have to compare, which means that not all comparison is the thief of joy. Not all comparison is sinful. However, the comparison we are going to be talking about tonight most definitely is. It's the unhealthy comparison that will completely 
rob you of joy. It is the sinful comparison and fleshly desire of looking at others and instead of celebrating, seeing the grace of God in and through their lives, we see competition. We see threat. We see something that they have that we don't and we want. And envy and jealousy and bitterness and self-loathing enters in and plays itself out in our lives. That that's the kind of comparison we're going to be talking about tonight. And there are plenty of examples in the Bible that we could spend honestly hours on diving into unhealthy comparisons. From Cain and Abel, how comparison and jealousy led to murder. To Joseph and his brothers who compared themselves to him and Joseph's favoritism of his dad. And and when jealousy entered in, the outcome of that was his brother selling him, him into slavery. You have Martha and Mary as Martha is serving and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha starts to compare and be concerned about what Mary is and isn't doing. And it leads to frustration and Martha basically telling Jesus, are you going to do something about this? We can clearly see many examples of comparison through scripture. And one story in particular that I want to dive into tonight that I think just gives us a great example of what sinful comparison looks like and how it can manifest itself in and through our lives is through the story of David and King Saul. And so if you will turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We are going to pray over this passage, and then we will dive on into it. So let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for your word. God, I just want to thank you for uh, worship. Lord, your spirit is just so sweet. Your presence is so sweet. And so, Father, I pray now that uh, your presence would fall in this room. Lord, would you use me as a mouthpiece? Lord, I pray if there's anything that is not of you that you would keep me from saying it. Lord, speak to us now, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to give you some backstory before we dive into 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, because you will notice as we read that we are picking up uh, where uh, this passage of Scripture is, is, we're in the middle of a story, basically. This is continuing on in a story that is already taking place. And that is the story of David and Goliath, which is found in the preceding chapter. Now, if you know the story of David and Goliath, then you know David is this young Hebrew shepherd boy who ends up taking on this massive giant by the name of Goliath who was taunting the army of Israel. And against all odds that were stacked against David, he grabs his shepherd's sling, takes out a stone, knocks Goliath to the ground, and then chops off his head with Goliath's own sword. Really awesome, epic story in scripture. And so this story of David and Goliath has taken place. And because of that, scripture says that King Saul set David over the men of war and sent him out. And it says David was successful wherever Saul sent him to go. So David has some status now. Right, David is well known for his victories. So this is where we pick up 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. Read along with me. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. 
Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So again, David has defeated Goliath. And after that, he's been very successful where Saul had sent him. And so the people are excited. They are celebrating the victory that has been won. And in verse 6, it says, you have women who came out of all the cities of Israel. That, that is a lot of women coming out to sing and dance with musical instruments, tambourines to celebrate this victory. But what I want you to notice is it says they came out to meet who? It says they came out to meet King Saul, not David. And here's why. King Saul, as you can imagine, because he was a king, had power, status, wealth, authority, prestige, women clearly dancing and singing for him. I am sure there are many who would have loved to have been in his position. And because of his title and placement as king, these women came out to meet him. Now, can we just imagine for a second what that must have been like for him? What King Saul had to be feeling in that moment? Just put yourself in that situation, having women come sing and dance for you. Uh, if you're a female in the room, I don't know, imagine you're a queen, men are coming to sing and dance for you. This is what's happening. It wouldn't be too bad. Saul probably wasn't hating that moment. That, that moment probably felt really good. And so now not only are they dancing for you, but they start to sing and praise your name. Verse 7, Saul has struck down his thousands. Saul is probably thinking, yes, I have. I have done that. And then he hears and David his ten thousands. Now, I love this moment because all of us can relate to this moment. Not the singing and dancing, clearly. But in some form or fashion, it's the moment when comparison takes place. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. It's the moment when comparison takes place for you. And you have the option to celebrate, praise God for the gifting and success of someone else. Or pride, bitterness, envy, jealousy, wanting that praise, wanting what they have. And in our flesh, sin transpires. In that moment, Saul could have praised God and agreed with that statement and started singing and dancing along with them. But what happens? Verse 8. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? What's happening in this moment is Saul was comparing what the people were saying about him in comparison to what they were saying about David. And once Saul hears what is being said, he verbalizes that pride, envy, and bitterness that was already going down in his heart. Because the root of comparison is pride. In other words, Saul is completely about Saul. First point, if you are taking notes, is comparison is self-centered. It's completely consumed with self. It's all about me and my self-glory, wanting to be magnified and praised above others, even if it means at the expense of someone else. Pride and self-glory is being so consumed with wanting glory for the self that it sees others' gifts, 
talents, wirings, abilities, personality, success, likability, and uniqueness as complete threats to them. I love how one author put it. Uh, He said it like this. Self-glory is when we look at others and don't see the grace of God, but reflections of our own inferiority. We don't see them as windows into God's glory, but as mirrors into which we are asking, who's the fairest one of all, and we know it's not us. It's not seeing others as the body of Christ, but instead looking at our brothers and sisters in Christ in comparison to you, saying, who's the fairest one of all? Who is smarter than, greater than, more successful than, better looking than, more likable than, stronger than, wiser than, a better singer than, more athletic than, have a better marriage than? Who is better than? And Everlast, a question I would ask you is if comparison is a struggle for you, what and who is your better than? I want to be better than fill in the blank. I want people to see me as better than fill in the blank. If I am better than, then I will be satisfied, then I will be confident, then I will be self-assured and content. What and who is that better than for you? Because listen, our fill in the blank of comparison, whatever that is for you, is going to show and reveal a heart that is trying to find its contentment and satisfaction in something other than Jesus. Second point, if you're taking notes, comparison kills contentment. I absolutely love the story of the prodigal son because it gives us just such a great example of how discontentment can play itself out. In Luke chapter 15, if you know the story, you have a dad and two sons. The younger son asks his dad for his his inheritance. Give me the property that is coming to me. And so his dad divides the property between both the younger son and the, and the older son. Equally get fair share. And so the younger brother takes what he receives, and Scripture says he squanders it on reckless living, meaning he went and totally partied it up, had himself a grand old time. Well, what happens is he ends up spending everything to the point that he has to hire himself out, and his job was to feed the pigs. Scripture said he was so hungry that he was desiring to be fed with the pigs. And so he humbles himself and decides, you know what, I'm going to go back to my dad and ask for forgiveness. And you know the story as he is approaching the house far off, his dad sees him, runs to him, and embraces him. Well, all of a sudden, the older brother, who's in the field, working hard, being obedient, just an awesome son, gets done with a hard day's work, approaches the house, and hears music and dancing. And so he asks one of the servants what's going on, to which he replies. Listen to the servant, how the servant replies to him. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And listen to the older brother's reaction. It'll be on the screen. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. 
What the older brother is doing in this moment is he is comparing what his younger brother received in comparison to what he hadn't received. And enter in discontentment. Discontentment happens when you are worried and consumed with what other people have that you don't. And we get this deserving mentality of, that's not fair. I don't, I deserve that, not him. I deserve that, not her. And we become discontent in Jesus and discontent in what he has for us. And often we see comparison play itself out this way. If you are single in the room tonight and you desire to be married, by the way, great desire. N nothing wrong with that. But listen, when that desire is met with a heart that is discontent in Christ, comparison soon follows. You start looking around at other couples comparing with that older brother mindset. Really? Her? Father, I've been obedient. I've saved myself for marriage. I've served you wholeheartedly. I've done all these things. And I know some of the things that she's done. I deserve a relationship over her. Now, these may not be things you necessarily say out loud, but they are similar to thoughts that we have when discontentment in Christ accompanies a desire or want that we have. Or maybe for you, some of you in the room, your want and desire comes in the form of, of looking at someone else's success, their gift sets, their personality, how the Lord has uniquely wired them and placed them in a specific role. And you want that and you start comparing your situation in light of theirs. God, I want that gift. I want to be likable and have the status that they have. I, I want that life. And we start to compare our lives of what they have and we don't. And it shows a heart that is trying to find, again, its contentment, satisfaction, and fulfillment in other things other than Christ. And here's the thing. Again, desiring to be married, desiring kids, desiring to have goals and achieve those goals and aspirations is not a bad thing. But when those desires lead to discontentment, when you can't be satisfied until those things happen, you have now made those desires supersede your desire and contentment in Christ. And comparison will reveal what is already going down in our hearts. Who and what we are truly worshiping and idolizing. Right? It reveals what we are seeing as more important than Jesus, what we are valuing as more important than Jesus, what we are putting up on a platform instead of Jesus. And let me just tell you, that is like running a race that will never be won. That is like you running hard after the finish line and never getting there. And you will become extremely tired, completely worn out, self-depleted, both physically and mentally exhausted. Because the reality is you are pursuing after something that will never fully satisfy when you compare, it shows a heart that is discontent in Jesus. Comparison kills contentment. And not only does it kill contentment, but comparison will cause you to have other battles. Third point, if you're taking notes, comparison creates battles. Comparison will lead to other battles that you will struggle with. Comparison leads to jealousy, envy, you want a little more of what God has given someone else and a little less of what he's given you. It will lead to entitlement, pride, and a self-righteous attitude. I deserve that. I'm better than them. God, I have done all these things and followed you faithfully. I surely am owed that. It will lead to bitterness, wanting the worst for them, 
or hoping they will fail so that you feel better about yourself, it will lead to exhaustion because you'll be like a hamster on a wheel chasing something that will never be enough. It will lead to fear and insecurities and self-loathing, which will keep you from doing the things that God has called you to do. Because as you compare yourself to others, you will feel inadequate because you're constantly comparing others' success in light of yours. It will lead to you feeling unworthy and not deserving because when you compare what someone else has, you believe the lie from the enemy that you aren't good enough. It will lead to resenting God's goodness in someone else's life, and therefore then you start disregarding the blessings in your own life. And it will lead to a constant need for the approval of others and a need to find fulfillment in all the wrong places. Comparison will create other battles in your life. And one battle for me personally where comparison has just reared its ugly head is through the battle of approval of man. And I'll just give you a quick example. When Kevin and I started dating which continued in our engagement and early on in our marriage, something that happened often uh, was people coming up to me that knew Kevin from church uh, or his community, uh, acquaintances, wherever. And they would come up to me and say something along these lines. So you're married to Kevin. I'm like, yeah, I'm married to Kevin. Well, let me just say you got yourself a good one. We love him. Seriously, you scored. He is amazing, full of joy, gifted, so talented. Just letting you know you are really lucky, like truly blessed. And I'm sitting there like, got it. Cool. Thank you. Great. But what was happening in my heart was comparison. Comparison was taking place in my heart. And because of that, I was hearing these things, and I was constantly seeking the approval of man and others. I had this incessant need for people to want to see me as great. I want to be seen as awesome. I want to be seen as gifted. I want to be seen as amazing. And that's what comparison does. It puts you up against someone else, and two responses either happen. When you compare yourself to someone else, either you see yourself as better than or when you compare yourself to someone else, you see yourself as less than. Either you see yourself as better than, or you see yourself as less than. Both pride. And in both instances, you are measuring yourself on an inaccurate scale. We don't weigh our worth, we don't weigh our confidence, or our joy by the measure of people. The only way to get an accurate reading is by finding our identity in Christ. And it is because of Jesus that when people now come up and affirm Kevin to me, I'm like, you're right. He is awesome. You are awesome. Right? I have totally scored. Praise God. And I can celebrate the gifts that God has given him instead of going down this ugly road of comparison. And the only antidote to our comparison problem is Christ. If, if we aren't looking to Christ, comparison will destroy you. It will completely rob you of joy, confidence in Christ, and satisfaction in him. Comparison will never satisfy, satisfy, but instead will always lead you dry. That's how it ended up playing itself out in King Saul's life. He spent the rest of his life consumed with envy and jealousy and bitterness, battling all of these things, these side effects due to comparison, that he spends the rest of his life trying to kill David. And in the end, he ends up killing himself. 
Comparison is a nasty thing, and Jesus is the only answer. And so I just want to end with answering the question, how do we then battle comparison? Like, we clearly know it's not good. We, we know that it's self-centered. We know that it kills contentment, that it causes a lot of other battles. So how then do we battle comparison well? First thing is looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy set, that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's looking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit reminding us of what all he's done for us. That through his grace, mercy, and endless love, he willingly sacrificed his life on the cross for your sins. And that includes comparison. When we look to Jesus and are reminded that he bore the wrath of God for our sins, for every thought of prideful comparison, for every sinful action that resulted as a response from comparison, for every word that came out of your mouth due to envy, a deserving mindset, jealousy, bitterness, all the side effects that come from comparison, he breathed his last suffocating breath on the cross for you and me. And when we're reminded of that, that he loved us so much to do that, it allows us to come to a place of true repentance, wanting to be made into the image of Christ. Because our best selves is when we look most like him. How do we battle comparison? We look to Jesus. Secondly, we repent. We need to repent. Luke 5, 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen, I had to do this right here behind stage during worship. I was comparing and didn't even realize it. And I'm sitting there and I'm struggling with these thoughts. And the Lord so kindly is like, you're comparing and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to teach comparison, and I'm comparing right now. And so what do we do? We repent. And so I'm back there while y'all are worshiping, and I'm repenting, and I'm asking the Lord to help me in this and to forgive me of this, that he would rid me of my desire and want and need for approval of man and comparison. As soon as we recognize a desire for self-glory, repent. As soon as we recognize prideful comparison, repent. Repentance simply looks like turning away from that sin, turning to Jesus, and then running hard after him. I love how J.I. Packer put it. He said, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you've come in here tonight and comparison is a sin struggle for you, the, the only antidote, the only cure is Jesus. We need to go to him, repent, and ask for him, ask him to help and transform our hearts to be made into the image of him. And lastly, be you. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. God has made you to be you. 
He gave you the body that you have with all its limitations and abilities. He gave you all the gift sets and blessings that you currently have to do the work that he's called you to do, right? He is the giver of all things. He's made you to be you. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Only let each person live, lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. He doesn't want you to try or strive to live someone else's life. He has called you to lead the life he has assigned to you. And when we are battling with comparison, we need to be reminded of this. God has called you to be who he created you to be. Fixing your eyes on Jesus and the race he has set before you, not fixing your eyes on the race he has set for someone else. I love how one author said it. He said, and you are your truest you, not when you are measuring yourself against someone else, but when your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And Everlast, we need to realize that comparison is something that we don't just struggle with, but it's something that we must proactively battle against. Would we be a ministry that when we see others' gift sets, seasons of life, that we may at times even desire, desire what they have that we don't, would we be a ministry that looks to Jesus and finds our complete contentment and satisfaction in him? Would we fight hard against the battle of comparison? Amen? Amen. Let's pray.